If you're over 40 and want to be the best version of yourself, Fit Over 40 with Coach Clarence is here to help. Clarence Ferguson is a seasoned loan officer, fitness expert, personal chef, and entrepreneur who leads a revolution of men and women who want to live their best life going into middle age. Inspiring dialogue, challenging topics, and industry leaders are here offering tips and how-tos to improve your life. Now, here's Coach Clarence. All right, everybody, welcome to Fit Over 40. I'm your host, Coach Clarence, and I have Byron Athene. Am I saying that correctly, brother? You are. Yes, you are. All right, perfect, perfect. And he's got quite the resume. He's a certified mind coach, certified NLP coach practitioner, level five professional diploma in psychotherapeutic counseling, level four diploma in rational emotional behavior therapy. That seems heavy. I want to talk about that for sure. Level four advanced diploma in psychotherapeutic consulting or counseling. And he has a a diploma in counseling skills and theory. He's a level two practitioner of applied emotional freedom, EFT. I'm familiar with that. Some tapping certification in dialectical behavior therapy and a certificate in hypnotherapy and counseling. So obviously this guy knows a few things about behavior and patterns so how are you, man? What's going on? I'm perfect, thank you. Thanks for, for first of all, thanks for for um, thanks for having me on your show. It's a it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Let's go from the beginning and how you got to where you are now. Okay, right. Well, so me in a nutshell, in a nutshell. Okay, so I'm um, I'm the youngest of three um, three sons. Me and my three brothers, single mom. Um, so she raised us by uh, by herself. And we all had stutters. We all had um, speech impediments. Um, I'm guessing the elder brother, we're, we're one year apart as well. So one, one year apart, so we're all very close. So we're close, closely aged, close interest and stuff. So so I, I think the older brother started, started to stutter. The middle brother then copied him. And I copied both of them, I think. I think that's what happened. So by eight, I was just like a sort of a sort of fully fledged stutterer. But... They seem to grow out of their stutters, whereas I made mine a core part of my personality, and I just okay. I didn't like myself because of it. I had the I had the I don't know I guess the worst kind of low self esteem where I just thought I was just not good. I thought I was subhuman. I I couldn't even talk kind of thing. If I can't even talk, then what can I do kind of thing? So I carried yeah. that right for ages, for ages. So ambled through life, I guess. Then at twenty. I, because maybe my stutter made me more introspective. So I, I looked more inward than outward. And because of that, I um, I discovered something fairly remarkable that I'll share with you later on. But because I was um, still quite introverted, I thought about becoming a counsellor then, actually. So when I was 20, so back in like 1991, but I thought, well, no, I'm, I'm my my stutter will get in the way. So I, I feel like a bit of a fraud helping people with their problems when I, I can't even help myself out of my problem. So I didn't. So I, I got a few safe jobs, office jobs. Then I, um, so I was working for a local, local authority for years, decades even, um, kind of keeping myself to myself. I developed a growth mindset and um, I realized that um, I generally had a growth mindset, but I still had a fixed mindset about my career and my speech. 
So I thought, well, okay, well, what career do I actually want to do? So I remembered I wanted to be a counsellor way back. So I thought, well, let me start doing that. So this is around about when I was like 44 or so. So then I trained as a um, trained as a therapist and a mindset coach and those other things that you uh, that you just um, listed. And so this this discovery, I thought I could I could possibly use this discovery in my work because it's when I say discovery, it's a sort of a psychological truth but I thought okay I'm not I'm not even going to share my psychological truth I'm just going to be a kind of conventional therapist and spout the things that Freud has said or Ellis the person who um, invented CBT but because I um I was certified as a mindset coach as well my coaching I'm not sure what it's like in America but in the UK it's not nearly as regulated as therapy so you're you're pretty much allowed to do whatever you want so I developed an emotions mastery program that I tried on uh, one of my clients who transitioned from counseling to coaching he took to it really really well so I thought well I wonder if my other kind of more conventional counseling clients would um, would like it so I spoke to my supervisor and I I asked her well am I allowed to do my own stuff and she said, well, yeah, as long as you do it safely, ethically. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, well, then obviously I will. So I introduced my own theories into my into my work. And I've now developed my own therapeutic approach, which is what I'm using. I see. Okay. Where'd you go to school? Um, I went to school. How well do you know? Do, do you know London? I know London where it is. <laughs> I know it's in England. <laughs> so you might name some street and I won't know where it is. <laughs> I went to school in, in South London. That's that's okay. that's pretty much where I grew up, South London. South London. Okay, very cool. <laughs> so um I actually used to stutter a long time ago. Oh really? And occasionally, if I get super excited, I still will do it a little bit. Um, I just really, for me, it was just uh, nervous, a little bit bashful sometimes. Yeah. And the words are there and they're trying to come out too fast. And then next thing you know, so yeah. um, I actually got into music and I had to learn how to, to rap. So I had to get over that pretty quick. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Really, it was just a, a, a defense mechanism for being shy. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I used to rap as well. And was weirdly enough. I never even even vaguely stuttered when I rapped. Right. Because of, totally of the breathing and the rhythm. But talking, um, no, it was definitely goodness. Yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, so I'm going to kind of go over some of the things that you teach and kind of talk me through um, what exactly they mean. So sure. tell me, because these were exciting when I was looking at them. Okay. Uh, what is the generative mindset? Generative mindset. Well, that's, that's the... That's the, co- the coaching program I developed when I started um, practicing as a life coach, because the the um, uh, I guess the um, the world is pretty much now saturated with life coaches. So I thought, OK, yeah. well, how can I how can I do something different? I've okay. so, I've had a lot on my show, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I thought, okay, well, I'm a certified. When I qualified for my coaching program, we, um, me and my peers had to choose a designated area. So, like, I like I know health coach, whatever. So, I I decided I'd be a mindset coach because I'm very interested in mindset and stuff. And so I thought, well, I can't I can't just be a mindset coach. So then I developed something called a generative a gen, generative mindset program where I'll teach someone how to have a growth mindset, but I'll, I'll also bolt on nine other philosophical ideas. So I would like to teach them how to have a, like a super brain, 
kind of. Oh, wow. Okay. What do you think uh, just in the world right now is one of the biggest challenges to people's getting better mindsets about things in life? Biggest challenges? Well, I, I themselves. We so are, they can't get out of their own way? Yes, exactly. We are, we are our own worst enemy. We really are. We, we've, we're, we're very creative in finding ways of getting in our own way and we are excellent at it we're really good at it but the good thing is we are also our um our best ally so if we can if we can reconcile those two forces then we will be pretty much unstoppable i think i see i see um so talk to me a little bit about emotions mastery which i think everybody probably needs a little bit of that yeah oh great yeah so okay so that's this is actually the thing that i kind of i I wanted to talk about which made me Take your time. Okay, right. So here we go. So let me, um, because like I said, I think I have discovered the real truth about why we have bad emotions. Okay. Yeah. And I I stumbled across it. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell it to you. I'll tell it to you, but I can't. I can't. I can't just blurt it out because that's right. what I. That's what I used to. I used to do. I thought, oh, this is the truth. I'm going to tell people, and then I realized that I realized that people don't really want to hear the truth. Most people want their current beliefs confirmed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so I thought, okay, well then, telling the truth isn't working. So I then realized that I I would have to disconfirm someone's current belief, and then once I've done that, then that creates a kind of void of truth, and my discovery neatly fills that void of truth. <clears throat> so yeah, let me let me give you a quick chronology of how I found it, and if you allow me, Clarence, I will. Take your time. I'll, I'll I'll kind of walk you through the process that I take my clients through in helping them to understand it. Sure. Quick, a quick chronology, a quick chronology. Okay, so like I said, um, had a stutter, very introverted, kept to myself. At twenty, um, I didn't. I wasn't really that kind of. Um, I hadn't. I wasn't really that experienced with like relationships and stuff. So at, at twenty, started to go out with someone. It didn't work out, and it ended. It didn't even end badly, but it really affected me. You know, like like proper heartache, proper like it felt at twenty. Nothing really bad had happened to me, so at the, at the time it happened, it seemed like that was by far the worst feeling I had felt. I felt horrible. It's like everything reminded me of her. It was just it was horrible. But I thought, well, that's life. In life, you're you're gonna feel bad. It's you just you just have to get on as best you can, and that's what I intended to do. That's what I think. Okay. So, right. So. Like I said, two older brothers with stutters. The middle brother, Bernie, he had just read this book called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. It's, it's all about positive thinking and uh, mental rehearsing and like positive visualization and stuff. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll read this book in the hope that it's going to help me come to terms with my stutter. So I read this book. Um, it didn't really help with my stutter, but it did introduce the idea to me that happiness comes from within which was an idea like at 20, I didn't even know what psychology or philosophy were. I, yeah, those weren't my interests. So that, that was an idea that I found groundbreaking. It was just, cause I, I kind of thought that our, I, I thought we were almost like emotional mirrors. If something bad happened, we just feel bad, obviously. Something good right. happened, we feel good. As opposed to what it, it, it's internally created because of how we interpret events. So yeah, groundbreaking idea. But then I thought, hold on, 
if happiness comes from it, if, if happiness comes from within, why am I making myself feel like absolute crap because of this breakup? So then, <laughs> yeah, so, so then I, I found myself being able to control my emotions much better than I thought it would just by positive reframing, I guess. So I was able to control my emotions, yeah, much, much better than I thought anyone could to the point where I could find myself, if something bad happened, I'd feel bad for like a split second, but then I could make myself feel better immediately afterwards. So then that made me question, if I can feel good right after feeling bad, what's the point of feeling bad in the first place? So then, yeah, then then I went on a, I don't know, a sort of a, a pilgrimage of discovery. I asked, I asked people, what, what's the point in bad emotions? And I heard, I heard, I heard like the same 10 responses over and over again. And these are these these are reasons that I knew weren't true because I had been in control of my emotions for maybe three months at that point. And at that point, there was no downside. I was just better in almost every single way. So someone would say, Oh, you need bad to no good and stuff like that. I thought, well. That's just not true. That's just not true. So after about three months of having circular conversations, I thought, well, maybe, maybe no one knows. Maybe I'm never going to find out. Maybe this is just one of the many mysteries of life. So I was satisfied not knowing. So nothing much changed in my life until around about a year and a half after that, when I met someone, we became friends. I told her, I told her about my um, my emotional control. That was an idea that appealed to her. So she asked me if I could help her with her emotions too. So I said, well, yeah, I could, I could just let you know what I did. Well, you can do what I did, but it took me a year and a half. It might take you a year and a half as well. She said, well, she doesn't mind. She's not doing anything else. So we started, I started to talk to her. I started to help her with her emotions, but it was just taking too long. So I thought, well, let me, let me, let me look for the real reason again. I find if I thought if I find a real reason, maybe I can just take a shortcut and I can say, okay, well then just do this to feel good so again I started to ask people for the reason why we had bad emotions again I heard reasons that didn't make sense again I thought I felt frustrated that I was never going to find out but then I found the truth and it blew my mind it's like oh my god oh my god so okay so let me let me walk you through the process that I usually use on my clients so okay let's let's imagine that there are 10 feasible sounding reasons, 10 plausible sounding reasons for the existence of um, bad emotions. Now, we're not going to have time to go through all 10. Oh, by, by the way, 10, 10 wrong reasons, 10 reasons that you can disprove fairly easily. If, if you look sure. if you look at from a certain perspective, you can just disprove these, these, um, these ideas. So we're not going to have time to go through all 10. So I usually say, if I can disprove the, the three that make the most sense, do you do you does it make sense that I could disprove the seven that doesn't make as much sense? And they usually say yes. So okay, so three three reasons. So I'm gonna tell I'm gonna I'm gonna go through them. I'm gonna tell you what the reason is. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to try to disprove it, or I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to say whether you believe it or not. And you might. I mean, these are three reasons that they they all make sense. They all make sense. So if you don't want to disprove it, if you think it makes sense, I'll make it clear that that means you're part of one group but there are at least two other groups who can immediately disprove it for two completely different reasons. Therefore, indicating, indicating it's probably not true. Because if it were true, then we'd be all part of the same group of believers, say. So after, after we've disproved the top three, 
I'll then go over a few other feasible sounding theories, just so just so you you think, or just just so that you you know I'm not sort of like leaving anything out. I'll then I'll then show you a fourth theory. I'll tell you what the theory is. I'll give you the opportunity to try to disprove it, and I don't think you'll be able to. Okay. Right. Okay. So let's go. Let's go. Right. So theory theory number one. Theory number one. I call this the contrast theory, and it's this. People think that we have bad emotions because if we didn't, the good emotions wouldn't be as good. What do you think? So you think people think that they have bad emotions because the good ones wouldn't be as good? Yeah. Um, I think there is some truth to that 100 percent. Yeah. Okay. So if I feel bad today, feeling good is going to be so much better. I would feel like if I'm having a bad day, having a good day is going to be better. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's just how we're conditioned. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. OK, so, OK, so, right, so, so, so you're in group one, group one. So someone in group one can enjoy a sunny day more because they compare that sunny day to a rainy day. Sure. Some, yeah, so someone in group one wouldn't want to live somewhere where it's sunny all the time because they think, well, they'd be bored. They would need that, that bad weather for, as a counterpoint. I'm in Arizona, man. It's it's 120 in the summer, so it's sunny all the time. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Okay, so that, that's group one. That's that's group one. So someone in group two um, doesn't need to think of a um, a rainy day to enjoy a sunny day. They can just enjoy a sunny day. So some someone in group two can just happily live um, in a place where it's sunny all the time. They wouldn't need that bad weather to to sort of to um, to um, to be a counterpoint and, and help them enjoy it. So that that disproves the theory that you need a contrast to be there to to enjoy it. Someone in group three, um, they they enjoy things less because of the contrast. So someone in group three thinks, well, what's the point of being happy on a sunny day when it's just going to rain tomorrow? Yeah, sad sadly enough, but to each their own, I guess. So hopefully that disproves the theory that you need a contrast because someone in group one says the contrast has to be there. Someone in group two says the contrast doesn't have to be there. Someone in group three says they enjoy things less because of the contrast. Okay. Okay. So theory two. Theory two. Um, Okay. This one, this one I call the usefulness theory. So people think bad emotions are there or bad emotions exist because in certain situations they are more useful than good emotions. So for example, some people think that they are better motivated by their bad emotions. If they're in a situation that they don't like, if they're feeling good, they feel like they might not be motivated to do something about it. But if they're in a situation that they don't like, if they feel bad, they'll be more motivated to do something about it. What do you think? I would agree with that for sure. Uh, look, I think a lot of people make decisions based off how they're feeling. Versus what is versus what's logical or what's gonna be the right thing to do. Because feelings I think sometimes are easier to latch on to versus taking the time to find what's the more practical solution. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So but yeah, but you you just said something very interesting because you've you just you you just highlighted the fact that although some bad emotions are useful, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are the most useful. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so for example, for example, so someone, 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 someone in group one, they can, they can think about doing something kind of crappy to someone else. They feel guilt or shame, and then they don't do the thing because they don't want to do. 
they, they, they don't feel bad. So you, you could say that their bad emotion has successfully motivated them into that better behavior. So mm. someone in group two, they can think about doing something crappy to someone else. They feel guilt or shame, but they do the thing anyway, which proves that the guilt wasn't a successful motivation because here they are feeling guilty, but still engaging in an unsavory act. Yeah. Someone, someone in group three, they will do the better thing because of their good feelings rather than not doing the bad thing because of their bad feelings, if that makes sense. So, sure. yeah. so do, do you know the whole stick versus carrot motivation model? Um, I've heard different versions of that. What's, what's your uh, thought on that? Okay, so yeah, so the, the just I guess it's, it's just the, the, the general general idea that most people are motivated either by stick or the carrot. The stick is um, a punitive measure or uh, criticism or harshness or negativity, whereas the carrot is reward. So, so someone in group one thinks the stick is the best form of motivation, but someone in group three says the carrot is the best form of motivation. And I, I think it's generally accepted now that carrots motivate people better than sticks. Sure. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. But, that, but that's just motivation because people say, well, what, what about what about anger? Anger, you can use anger. You can use anger. Yeah, you can use anger as motivation. Yeah, exactly. You can use anger if 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 you think if you think someone's acting in a way that you don't want them to act. If you if you get angry, they can possibly stop. So sure. in, that, in that way, anger is useful. But mm. is anger the best thing to do? Because anger is often met with anger. So you might just be elevating or escalating a situation as opposed to being a bit more persuasive or or negotiating. So. Yeah. I think uh, I think no matter what the situation is, if you think the bad emotion will get a good result, I think a good emotion would get a better result. I think the the only one that can be debated in my mind is fear. I think fear does have a purpose of if you're fearful, um, you might be in a dangerous, uh, risky situation. Your fear might motivate you to remove yourself from the situation. Sure. Yeah, but then, but I think even then that could be debated because sometimes you could be paralyzed by fear. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. that means because you're fearful, you've now put yourself in even more danger. So mm-hmm. I think, I I think it could be debated that you could be in a dangerous situation, be relaxed, and if you're relaxed, you're thinking straight, you're much more likely to do what you need to do to get yourself out of that situation better. So- how do you find out where someone is? Do you have like a process that you go through? Do you, or was it just a general conversation like we're having? When do you just kind of pick up on things they're saying? Yes. Well, we, I guess general, general, general conversation sometimes. But remember, I'm I'm talking about like client work, so I'm 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 usually talking to clients who who wants to do better, and I say, okay, well, you could do better by understanding this, and this is this this is my way of helping them to understand this. I see. I see. Okay. So, so the third theory, this is this is the last main theory. Then this one's going to be harder to disprove. This one, I think this one sounds the most sensible out of all of them. So, okay, here we go. Theory three is called the inevitability theory, which is bad emotions are just bound to happen. They're, they're written into our DNA. They're inescapable, unavoidable, which means if you go through a bad event and you don't feel bad, you are either lying to yourself or you're suppressing the bad emotion. And on a side note, that could mean that that bad emotion is going to come up another way 
or uh, another negative emotion is going to come up um, at another time in another way, potentially. What do you think? That's to me just his mindset. I mean, yes, you are going to have emotions that are written into your DNA that are just always going to be there. Maybe something triggers that. I think if you were growing and you have a growth mindset, you recognize when those triggers get to hit and then you go, okay, wait a minute, this normally yeah. makes me upset or this may normally makes me happy. If it makes me happy, I'll stick with it. But if it makes me angry and I do something bad when I'm angry, I have to recognize that. So I 100% agree with that. It's yeah, just yeah, being attuned to where you are. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you 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 make it you make a good point. I I think if, if someone has a if someone has a growth mindset, it's more likely that they're going to have a more rational view on their emotions and how they respond to things, even if they think it might be difficult to change. Their growth mindset will enable them to think, well, change is possible, and so what do I need to do to change? Okay, so but yeah, here's here's how I dis- disprove the the theory that bad emotions are inevitable. Because I I think it's 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 just a matter of interpretation. It it depends on how you interpret an event. Okay, so three there's three people who work on a um, a project. The project's over. They get feedback. The feedback isn't entirely glowing. So it sounds it sounds quite negative. So person one who who represents group one, they they feel angry. They feel attacked. But because it's the line manager giving the feedback, they feel unable to express their anger. So they think well. Okay, you know what? Let me not. Let me just go home. Let me let me try and be okay with it. But then when they go home, they just find themselves being aggressive or whatever at their partner or their kids or their pet or their friends. That does happen. Maybe most people would respond in that way. There's a there's a word for it: displacement. Displacement. So there's 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 a lot of displaced anger in the world today, where people are angry at one thing, and because they're unable to express that anger, and I think for whatever reason, they find a more safer, a more accessible target, and then they meant. So that's that's group one. So, but group two, um, the person group two just doesn't care. Person, so the person group two thinks, "Oh, life's life's too short for me to care about what my line manager says about my work. I life's too short. This is just work." It's not that important to me. They're not lying. They're not suppressing any emotion. There's no bad emotion to suppress. Mm-hmm. So person three, they um, they initially respond like person one, so that they they become angry at first, but then they realize that actually the feedback was constructive, and they could take this constructive feedback on board and become a better employee because of it. So person three is the one who's able to reframe it, which proves that you're 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 not sort of necessarily going to definitely respond angry and even if you do you can reframe it and change your emotional response i see well, yeah but even even if that theory was true as a theory it's unhelpful because it doesn't explain why a good theory will explain how what and why pretty much so i might as well have said to you having bad emotions are bound to happen because and then left it blank so, so it's unhelpful. Theory four explains why. So after the small discussion we're going to have about theory four, if I remember, I'll swing back round to theory three and I'll fill in the blank for you. I see. Okay. Okay. So hopefully those three main theories have been adequately disproved. Hopefully. All right. Okay. So I'll, I'll I'll briefly go over three other theories that I've heard often. So there's a psychopath theory. People say, well, you've got to feel bad because if you don't, you'd be a psychopath. Well, I think to me. That's a misunderstanding of what a psychopath is, because that implies that psychopaths don't feel bad about anything. And of course they do. 
They just don't feel bad about the things that society say they should feel bad about. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> that's a great way to... <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, isn't it? I mean, if they, if they didn't feel bad about anything, they'd possibly be the happiest people on the planet. And of course, they are not. <laughs> so <laughs> so there's the, there's the, a similar argument. There's the, there's a robot argument. People say, well, you need to feel bad because if you don't, you would be a robot. Well, I think the way we're using our emotions now is robotic because we're not we're not thinking about how to respond usually, or a lot of people don't. They just re- reflexively respond. Um, I think I'm well. I'm saying if you consider how you should respond in a situation and then choose, you you would be less robotic, not more robotic. Okay, so the last one, the last one is the empathy argument. It kind of similar to the psychopath one, I guess. But someone says you need to feel bad because if you didn't, you wouldn't have empathy. Yeah. Which again, that's that to me is a misinterpretation of empathy. That if someone if someone says that, I think it's clear they're mistaken. Empathy with sympathy. Sympathy means feeling sorry or bad for someone. Empathy means understanding how someone feels. So if you want to be sympathetic, you need to feel bad because that's what the word means. But you don't need to feel bad to understand that someone else is feeling bad. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay, here we go. So theory number four, are you ready? Yes. You look ready. You do. Okay. So again, rather than blurting out, rather than saying it, what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you two questions. Sure. And in answering those two questions, you are going to be unknowingly telling me what the theory is. All, okay. all I'm going to do is just give you details afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. So question number one, why do babies cry usually? That's how they communicate. They're either saying I'm hungry, something hurts, or I need food, whatever. Perfect. 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 A baby cries usually because there's something it needs or wants, and it can't communicate that need or want in any other way. Excellent. Okay. Question number two, what's a typical response to a baby crying? From the caregiver or someone close to them. It depends on how good of a parent you are, I guess. I mean, you might be annoyed. Like, be quiet, baby. Or no, if if you, well, I think the general response is you try to figure out what's going on based on behavior. Well, it's one o'clock. He normally wants to eat at one o'clock. You know, maybe he has to poop or whatever. You know, you try to figure out what's going on. That's the normal, the normal response. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> good, yeah, good stuff. So, so, uh, so, rephrase and recap. A baby cries usually because there's something it need. There's something they need or want, and they can't communicate the need or want in any other way. So they cry. A typical response is that a typical response from a caregiver or someone close to them is that they tend to the baby. They find out what's wrong, and then they give the baby what they need or want. Agreed. Agreed. Here we go. Theory number four is called the baby theory, and it makes clear. That the only reason why adults still feel bad is that we needed to feel bad as babies to alert someone that there was something wrong in our environment and we haven't been made aware of the process so we are still running that process so let's 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 imagine that ideally a baby is in a state of equilibrium or balance they have everything they need they've got the right amount of food in them the temperature's within the right range, and that feels good. Mm-hmm. Now, when there's um, even one, so all the needs are being met. When there's even one unmet need, 
So there's a problem with the food, there's a problem with the temperature, that triggers a state of disequilibrium or imbalance, and that doesn't feel good. And because a baby can't say, oi, I'm hungry, can you turn the temperature up and down, please? The only thing the baby can do is cruelly express the fact that there's something wrong by crying in the hope that someone comes along, identify the need that's not being met, meet it, and that returns the baby to a state of equilibrium again. Now, a baby uses that process to ensure their needs are met as quickly as possible, and it works more times than not. Now, when desires are introduced to the baby, and the baby perceives an obstacle to a desire, they now know that bad feelings get results, so they make themselves feel bad, express the bad feeling, knowing that someone's going to come along and hopefully give them what they want. That's a process that's running continuously. It's reinforced countless times, consolidated. We were never taught that that's what we were doing. Instead of being taught that that's what we were doing, we're taught these fake reasons for the existence of bad emotions, like we need bad to know good, or we need bad to know about our behavior. So the real reason is an unconscious program. It's one of the original unconscious programs that's running constantly in the background. What do you think? <laughs> I agree with that because that's how I think humans learn, period, by repetitive behavior. For a baby, even I think of like a puppy, a puppy knows that if it yelps, someone's going to say something's wrong. And then they learn it. Oh, if I just whine or cry like a baby, I'll get things done. And I, I think later in life, you go, well, if I do this, I'm going to get attention. If I yell and scream, I'm going to get attention. It's the same loop. It, it's an yep. internal loop. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah. So, what, so I guess what I'm saying is that it's such an unconscious program that we then cover with lots of other stuff that we pay more attention to that stuff as opposed to the original kind of truth, the original thing. And once we see the original thing, we would, I think, completely change the way we view the world. We view the world because of our good or bad emotions. If we saw the real reason why I had bad emotions, our view of the world would be different. Well, my I world. think that's the next level thinking, man, because if someone's yelling at you or showing anger, for you to have the wisdom to say, what do they want? Exactly. <laughs> Well, what do exactly. they really want? And then, you know, that's deep because I think thinking that way would solve a lot of problems. You know, instead of thinking about this makes me angry, now it's about me, you know. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And then both of them are going back and forth instead of going, what does this person need, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, so there's, there's, there's the, the emotional truth that I found. When I found it, I thought, I thought, well, you know what? The world needs, needs to know. But then, like I said, that, that's when I realized that the... People don't want to learn the truth. They want their 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 beliefs confirmed. So I thought, well, absolutely, okay, I'm just not going to share it. I, I guess. And then I kind of let I left it. I hid it. But then I thought, well, as a therapist, I can I can use it. So now I'm using it in my work. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you have someone, how do you get them to recognize that they're they're clinging on to something? Because that seems to be the breakthrough when you can move in. If you can get that wall knocked down. Yeah. Well, that's that is possibly the the biggest obstacle in my work. It's it's getting someone to that level of awareness, because sometimes the person is um, maybe a bit too fixated on the problem to think about the actual cause. And maybe they're looking at the problem in a very, very specific way. And that's that's hard to change because then then it, then I suppose to to ease the work, we need to kind of get a plan, right? Okay, so first thing I need to do is to show them this. And the second thing is to do this. 
The third thing is to do this, and you have to do it in a structured way. And even then, some people, some people just reject it. Some people say, "Well, no, that's not true. I'm, I'm not a baby." Well, what do you mean? Like, um, so it's it's that's a challenge, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that a lot of what you're doing and what I'm hearing is is powerful because, as a trainer, when I'm dealing with clients who want to lose weight. If I can get to the nitty gritty of why they're doing so, most people know that if you eat something bad, it doesn't have a good effect. But why are they keep doing it? That's the mental part. And I think that's when I started to change how I approach training. And it's not popular because the easy thing is to say, stop eating that or go work out more. But getting to why someone does that is huge. And that's why I like talking to people like you who get into the mindset. Mindset is everything. That's a big part of what I try to talk about because that's where it starts. Because if your mind isn't in what your goal is, it's not going to happen. I don't care what you do. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the mind is where it starts and ends. The mind, like you said, mindset is everything. Pretty much. <laughs> Tell me real quick, what is the inner circle all about? The inner circle. Well, inner circle is the, the name of my coaching program. So I call it the inner circle because I would teach people i'll teach clients how to be their own coach so as opposed to kind of be a detached expert with tricks and like expertise and knowledge i'm like okay well this is what i do this is this is what you can do to help yourself and anyone else you want to help do you think it takes from starting with you to someone getting that breakthrough or is it all individual individual definitely definitely individual Mm -hmm. i see um I noticed you do uh, some uh, um, emotional freedom technique or EFT. There's a lot of trainers who try to use that. Talk to me about, about tapping a little bit, because a lot of people have heard that, but it's just briefly tell me about tapping, what that means to people, so okay. they have an idea what that means. Okay, well, tap, tapping works with the idea of meridian points. So that, that's the idea that we have energy centers in our mind or, sorry, on, in our body, and there's a certain sequence that if you tap them, Um, routinely a couple of times in a certain place for um, a certain period of time then you can release emotional blockages or you can release certain emotional reactions that you might be holding on to i see gotcha and and is that physical or is that more just kind of a uh, a mental way of explaining like are you physically tapping these meridians are you just getting people to get in touch with where they are physical Yes, it's, it's it's physical. You you can do it, or you can you can do it on yourself and ask them to do it to themselves. It's, it's more powerful if they follow and them uh, do it to themselves. But it's it's definitely physical. Okay, awesome, awesome. So, um, <clears throat> what is something that you are really finding that's working right now for the lay person? What is a takeaway someone could take of this thinking? Man, I'm going through some things. What is what is just some simple advice you can give someone so they can start kind of thinking about what they need to do ASAP? Okay, so a a simple takeaway. Okay, so here we go. So this is is how emotions work. Our emotions are driven by the stories we tell ourselves. Our reality is built by the stories we tell ourselves and that's where our emotions come from so if you tell yourself a different story even if it's even slightly different you are going to feel differently i i I would say it's impossible for you to change your perspective on something and feel the same if you change your perspective even a little bit your emotion will be forced to update that's that's how our emotions are created and maintained our emotions are tied to our specific interpretations and stories not the events. 
I love it. I love it. So how can someone uh, find you if they like what they hear and they want to work with you? What's the best place to find you? I guess the best place would be to go to my website, www.byronathene.com. Mm-hmm. Do you have a social media, anything? I do, only LinkedIn at the moment. LinkedIn. Yeah, I don't really, um, yeah, I'm not really into like Instagram. That's a great place for some of your work. Have you seen what's going on on those sites? <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, you need to be on there coaching those people. Because <laughs> there's a lot of confusion and not being aware of your reality on uh, those social media sites. <laughs> Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe maybe that is something that I could I could think about kind of exploring uh, exploring. Now nah, you seem like you want to deal with people that are serious. Um, you need, I think you need to be at a certain a place before you receive what you're teaching, or it doesn't work. I, that's what yeah, I, well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Cool. Well, uh, Byron, I appreciate you coming on, and sharing a little bit of your knowledge. This is great, and. Um, um, we'll probably have you back sometime in the future and see what else you're doing, what else you're up to. Please do. Um, and real quick, I always like to ask people what their goals are for the year. So we're still kind of new in this year. It's only March. Uh, what are your uh, professional and personal goals for this year? To appear in many podcasts as possible. That's pretty easy to do. <laughs> Make well, yourself because you know because you're in London and I'm way in Phoenix and everyone listens all over the world, so you never know who's going to resonate with your message. That's true. So that's a business goal. What's your personal goal? Personal goal. Personal goal. Um, to exist. To exist. What does that mean? Because you're exist. already existing. Are you, are you existing with purpose? Or are you just you know? I, I, I don't know if they had this in London. When we were kids, we had popsicle sticks. And when we were younger, we'd race them down the streams and would go down the curves. And I always tell people, a lot of people are popsicle sticks. They're just going with it, wherever the wind takes them. They're not, they don't, that's that's existing. But then there's existing with purpose. So are you yeah. existing with purpose or are you just a popsicle stick? No. Okay. Well, when I say exist, I'm I'm, I'm saying that with the understanding that I know why why we have bad emotions. And so there, there could be no non-purpose if you see I'm just teasing, what it is, yeah <laughs> could you if you see what existence is then existence is more than enough existence yeah is. i like to ask people those why questions why is that why do you believe that why do you think that so and if people can have answers then we got to start somewhere we got to know yeah. why you're what your why is if you don't know that we're never going to get anywhere <laughs> fair enough yeah no, i get yeah. it all right cool. cool thanks for tuning in I appreciate you following the show. I appreciate your show ideas. Keep them coming. I'll try to bring you interesting guests that will help your life and help you live wealthy, fit, and wise into your 40s and beyond. This is Coach Clarence, and I'll see you next time.